I grew up in Western Massachusetts, which is about an hour and a half outside of Boston. I grew up in a Catholic home with three brothers and a very large family. For me, I struggled to learn deeply about God. I really plugged into the cultural side of going to church. I felt at the time like God really didn't know who I was and I felt like God didn't want to know who I was because I did so many things in my life that he didn't agree with and I didn't feel like I was worthy enough to, to have God in my life. After college, my friend invited me on a missions trip to Ecuador. I went to a Spanish-speaking service and I remember just lifting my hands to the Lord for the first time and just crying. When I came back from Ecuador, I was a new person. I really knew that I wanted to do more missions trips. I knew that there was something bigger than me and I wanted to serve in whatever way I could. A few weeks after the earthquake, I was watching footage on TV and when I was living in Boston, I taught a lot of Haitian students and worked with a lot of Haitian people and made a lot of Haitian friends and I felt like I needed to be there. It was really overwhelming for me to go to a country where I thought there would be no hope. And these people were the most hopeful people I'd ever met in my life. And that these people through an earthquake, through devastation, still saw the Lord. I think for me, my, after my first trip, I was left longing to go back. Thank God, like, these people have such a strong love for you that I want to be that. I, I want to be like that, Lord. Like I really want to love you the way these people love you. My first trip to Haiti was in March of 2010, and I had the opportunity to travel back to Haiti in July. But my third trip to Haiti was the trip that really stood out to me in many different ways. Well, on this trip to Haiti, I had an amazing roommate, and we ended up staying up really late one night talking. And during that time, she was able to share with me a lot of different things she had overcome in her life through God. While she was sharing, she had told me that she had an abortion and that she also had experienced sexual abuse when she was younger. And as I listened to her story, I was shocked. And little did she know that I had experienced a story very, very similar to hers. till about the age of 12, I was sexually abused. I just remember being really scared. I remember feeling all alone. Because I was so scared, I would get into situations where I would be yelling at people or cursing. I was telling people that something was wrong. And even though I wasn't verbally saying, I am being sexually abused, please help me, I was crying out for help. And even though my crying looked like anger, and a tear might have looked like a curse word, I felt like no one was listening. And so I think it was the first time that I learned that holding things inside is what you're supposed to do. I really began to realize how deep I had buried my story, but I was so scared to share it with other people. At that point, after she shared with me, I, I began to reflect on why I was going to Haiti. And I felt really called to go back to Haiti, but sometimes I felt like Haiti was an escape for me. It was a really 
simple way for me to focus on a need that is so great that I don't have to focus on my own need at all. But the Lord really showed me that He wanted to heal me and He didn't want me to go through this pain or suffering anymore. Before I joined Cornerstone, I was never involved in a church community. And when I joined, I knew that it was something I wanted to do. So I began by going to the Connections classes and ushering, but I also was plugged into a small group. My small group was my main support system through my process. During the times when I was beginning to open up about my sexual abuse, I remember sharing and people crying for me. And the fact that I was sharing and people were actually wanting to hear was really surprising to me because part of me thinks that I held this in for 20 years because I thought no one would listen to me. And I was so used to trying to help other people that to take a step back and say, I have a need here, was really, really difficult for me. There was weekends where I would be laying on my bed, I couldn't leave my apartment, and I remember just sending out an email and saying, please pray for me right now, this is what I'm going through. And within an hour, I had all of these people just praying for me and being part of the process of me. I think that was a really important moment in my life for God to show me the importance of being vulnerable and the importance of sharing because each step of this process, the Lord has been there. The question of God, where were you, really stuck out to me. And when I was going to Haiti, I felt like the Haitian people were gonna be saying, God, where are you? And instead, they were praising the Lord with all their hearts, and they were lifting their hands to God. But God really is crying for Haiti. And the Lord was crying for me in my life when I was going through my struggles. The question of where are you, God? He's really showed me, like, I am here. Even though there is devastation, I am here. I'll be leaving for Haiti in October for nine months, and I'll be doing missionary work there. And it was actually the school that Cornerstones has helped build. Throughout the past year, I feel like my relationship with the Lord is the strongest it's ever been. The main lesson I've learned from this experience is the Lord can see us as individuals, and in that He cares about each of us individually. And sometimes we can think about a whole country that's in need, or a whole city that's in need. But when we take a step back, we realize that the Lord has a plan for each of us in our lives. powerful and moving uh, video about the manifestation of grace to others, but really what I 
and moved by is the manifestation of grace within oneself, which is often very, very difficult to do. I had uh, lunch with a student of mine uh, two weeks ago at, of uh, all places, Chili's. And uh, I ordered the lunch special, and it was tasty and small. Uh, and uh, we were working on a message of his because uh, he was working in the computer, computer field, but he was asked by his pastor to give the message for the worship service this past Sunday. And it was the first time he was giving a message at the church called The River in San Jose. And so I was having lunch and talking about uh, the message with him. And he said to me, one of the points I want to bring up, I want to illustrate it with a dark story about myself, a failing in my own life. And he said, Jeff, do you think I should say it? Do you think I should share it? And I thought a second. I said to him, um, it depends who your audience is. If your audience tends to see Christianity as overwhelmingly triumphant and does not recognize that we all struggle and we all on our journey coming out of darkness into the light, and that Christians have bouts and we all have troubles that we need to have victory over. If, if they don't acknowledge that, if you share your darkness, they will hate you for it and they will use it against you because that type of church I would describe as moralistic, triumphantly moralistic. We're so great in Jesus, we have no problems. And because you have a problem, it must be because you have no faith in Jesus. You know, because they have faith in Jesus, you have no problems. So you deny things like that. And then I said, but if you're a church in which they recognize struggle, they encourage growth and recognize growth as a child of Christ, but realize that we all come from a past, and even the present, nothing is always packaged in neat little compartments, and everything is order in order. Then if you share to a church like that, they will listen and they will be encouraged, and they will say, wow, my, what a genuine person. And he said, I think my church is like the second one. And I said, yes, why don't you share it then? Listening to this video, you need to be very, very grateful that uh, the staff at Cornerstone had the courage to produce and develop and to show this video, because not many churches would be able to show it, you see because many churches, we don't like to deal with struggle and with darkness in life. I guess it's one of the reasons why I always enjoyed coming to Cornerstone to preach. I, I, I thought I'd spoken here like seven, eight years, and then someone, after the, the service last uh, night, they said, I, it's, I think it's been 11 years. I said, my, my, 11 years, I said, whoa, that's, that's too long, you know, that's retirement almost, that's halfway through retirement. I just got like uh, uh, 14 more years to go, you know, and then that'll be it. But one of the things I really enjoy about speaking at Cornerstone is that I have a comfort level here that I have no, I have no I, it's not matched at any church I ever spoke at. It is not matched in the 25 years I've pastored my own churches. I've never had this comfort level. I know sometimes, you know, disgusting, you know, like uh, uh, open, but, but there's a comfort level in me because I can tell you things about my life that I sometimes I'm surprised that I'm actually sharing with people. 
And after 11 years, it's like, so what is that? It used to be a story, like I always update what's going on in my life, and I always got some happy things, and I always got some sad things. Uh, you've known about, I've, I've, you've heard me, you, I've, I've always been open to share about the sad things. I've always, about with sadness, really sorrow, during my, my 25 years of ministry. I mean, at times you just, you know, you can't show the sorrow when you're shaking hands with people. But within the dark, within the soul, there was a lot of sorrow. And I've shared that with, with uh, people at Cornerstone in the pulpit. And then most recent, in the last three years, I've, I've struggled with an autoimmune disorder that is sort of like rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. It's a, it's a combination of body pain in different parts of the body, mostly the hands, with some chronic fatigue thrown in, you know, just to spice it up, you know, as if uh, pains in the hand were not enough. Well, well, we'll give you a little chronic fatigue on top of that, you know? Uh, you know, just, uh, you know, make it a little different, you know, spice it up for you, Jeff. And I don't really share with that. And then part of being at Cornerstone is that um, I always felt that I was not looked down upon when I shared those things. And it, it was very good for me, very uh, therapeutic for me as well. You need to be aware that um, this is a good place to be. But as we now go into the passage that we are to study, somehow this video that we saw neatly opens up the passage that we are going to study. Perhaps your situation in life is not like Annie's. And neither is like mine. You may not deal with emotional issues. You may not deal with chronic pain issues. But I want to bring to your mind that even though your situation may not be in that depth, all of us come from a dark past and in a situation that we need to walk out of and to change. The passage that is in your program is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. But I've asked the video crew to put the verse that immediately precedes this passage to give you the proper context. And it's a very surprising passage and a very strong one, especially when you realize Paul was writing to believers. It is almost offensive. Show that passage, Ephesians 5, 14. For this reason, it says, awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Then comes these verses. The reason why this verse is very, very interesting is that the Apostle Paul is writing to believers, and he has spent the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, talking about all the glorious benefits that we have in Christ and that we have this inheritance and we have this spirit and we have like all those blessings in the heavenly places. And then out of nowhere, he puts in this verse, arise, O sleeper, arise from the dead. He said, what are you talking about? Well, I thought we were born again. I thought everything's fine, you know? I would, what, what is this? But the apostle Paul is revealing a truth that for some is very, very difficult to admit. That as we are believers and we have received grace upon grace and forgiveness upon forgiveness and we have a union with Christ and we are born again, we are regenerated, we are bestowed with the Spirit. On another side, we all have a past and we all have a present 
And none of us in this room can dare say that our experience has always been harmonious and has always been good. I would dare say that for every one of us, there is a darkness within our existence on earth. Some of you say, well, you lie, Jeff. I'm, I'm pretty happy. I said, well, wait a few more years. You know, I'll come to you, you know. <laughs> you, you know, I, you know just, just tell you. You know, just, you know, just watch out. Make sure a piano doesn't hit you on the head when you come and walk out, you know. God, God heard that, you know. And it's like, you don't realize that we are all, look, it could be in terms of what Annie shared, an abuse. It could be what I shared in terms of a physiological sadness. It could be what I shared about a chronic pain. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5 We'll talk about a different category of darkness that we are to walk out on, out from. And it's found in Galatians 5, verse 18 to 21. And at various points, I'm just going to categorize them. Here, the Apostle Paul writes the darkness from a descriptive perspective. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sexuality. Now the first three, it talks about unrestrained sexuality. The second category, idolatry, sorcery, talks about false religion. The third category is the largest category. Enmity, strife, jealous, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, and envy. That category, which is surprisingly the longest, in Paul's mind is the one that you will deal with often in your life, and that is that just plain and simple, Jeff, you are one nasty person, man. You know, you just mistreat people the way you talk, you put down people, you know, you're always complaining, you know, and, and it's like, I'll tell you, a lot of us are like that. Maybe not here, because you'll all look civil, you know? But, you know, you go home and you're with your, you know, your, 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 your boyfriend or your, your wife or your children, and then you let your hair hang down, you know, and then you become this, you know? It's like, wow, you were so nice at church, and then you become this. And it's like, how did you become that? Because, you know, I don't know. I don't know why I'm like this. I'm one churning, boiling bag of jealousy, strife, and enmity within us. But man, on Sunday, I could shake your hand with a smile, you know? It's like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you, and that, this is real. This is real darkness. So whether it is behavior, whether it is unrestrained sexuality, whether it is the wrong worship of the spirit realm, whether it is a dark past of abuse, something that clouds your mind, that affects you negatively for the rest of your life, or chronic pain or a physiological problem that causes you difficulty to find happiness, Every one of us has a bit of darkness in our life. And the point of God and the Apostle Paul is that he would like us to begin to see that we have been given the tools and the ability to walk with confidence out of this darkness and into the light through the grace of Jesus Christ. And I give thanks for the openness of the staff at Cornerstone and the desire to minister to you at where you are. For the denial of this and the denial of our darkness and the denial that we still need to walk 
out of it in many areas of our lives lies to the spirit within us because it tells God that I have no need to work on my life because I am perfect or near perfect. Which with that is an offense to God. Now, how do we begin to move out of this sleepiness or as the Apostle Paul in very, writes in very strong words, arise from the dead as a believer to arise from the dead in real life? Well, let's look at this passage now that's printed in your bulletin. Ephesians 5, I'm just going to read verses 18, 19, and 20. It goes like this. And do not be drunk with wine in which is disposition, uh, uh, dissipation, I should say, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what we're going to do is I'm gonna, I can't deal with every part of this three verses, but we'll deal with uh, the first and the last. Skip the middle part. Verse 18, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, you don't know how important that is. For in the theology of the Apostle Paul, the role of the Holy Spirit is of incredible importance. Without the Spirit, there could not be any real change within the soul and within the heart of an individual. There's a passage in the book of Galatians, chapter 5. It is the verses we just read. It goes like this in verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This fruit of the Spirit is a very, very important concept because it talks about the work of the Spirit in a very, very slow process, a process in which you may not be aware of that you are changing. But without the role of the Spirit, there could be never any real internal change within us. The best we could do is acts of courtesy and outward gratitude to individuals with our hearts still messed up and boiling enmity and strife in our minds and in our hearts. Oftentimes people ask me, Jeff, how does the Spirit work in an individual, the Spirit of God, the, sec the third person of the Trinity? And I tell them that the work of the Spirit can work in two very much opposing ways. Both should be present in the life of a believer. The first way that the Spirit does work is what I describe as an overt way. When the Spirit comes upon a person with prayer or in a vision or in a dream or a compulsion to do something to complete the will of God for their lives. If you have ever experienced that, it is a marvelous, unbelievable experience you have with God, undeniable presence of God in one's life. But there is another, more frequent, frequent way in which the Spirit of God works in an individual, and that is not in an overt manner in which the Spirit of God comes upon you and imposes upon you 
the things you are to do. The other way is a silent way, and I would call it and describe it a covert way. You don't even know it because it involves very much your will to work in conjunction with the Spirit of God that is working to transform you. Your participation is very, very much needed. And when your participation is needed with the Spirit that is dwelling in you and working in you, what you will see is a change that is more than mere moralism, which is an outward veneer of civility, but a true change within the inner heart of a man or woman who seeks after God through Jesus Christ. You become more joyous and more peaceful and more loving because you come to the understanding that what God desires is more than just outward acts, but it is an inward heart that reflects the graciousness of God for us. You know, after being a pastor for 25 years, I was got sick of people who could play the game as a Christian. Uh, really sick of it. You saw more, I'd say more than 50% of the believers I knew played this game. They never allowed the Spirit of God to really change the guts within the person. And they were never able to arise from the dead awake from their sleepiness. For some of us, that is what is needed. Not more things to do so people like you, but a true makeover in the inner man and the inner woman through the Spirit of God, because that will be genuine. If the first point is that we must realize the darkness that we have all come from, and the second, it takes the inward work of the Spirit. The third point is also found in this passage that is present in your program. If you look at the second half of verse 19 and going into verse 20, here are the words. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you could see in the point on the overhead, the third point is clear from this passage. It takes an attitude of thankfulness, but it's really interesting. It's not thankfulness for the things you have. It's a thankfulness directed toward not an object or material things that you have received. It is thankfulness to God, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father. Thankfulness. Thankfulness. Because it changes not the perception of your life, it changes your perception of God. And there's no way you can advance with faith with a marred perception of God. A great corollary passage to this. A lot of corollary passages in this sermon here. It's found in the book of Philippians, chapter 4. Verse 4 to 7, it reads like this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. 
Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is an amazing passage. It talks about a tranquility of the soul. And the tranquility of the soul is tied in the book of Philippians with the ability to be thankful toward God. And in this context, to be thankful toward God in prayer. Now, some people think that it's just always seeing the light in every dark situation. But I don't believe that is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. For the Apostle Paul is not saying that if you pray right and you're thankful right, you have no need because all your needs have been turned into magic pixie dust, you know? No, 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 no. Look what it says. Uh, 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 be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Okay, you're still going to pray. You're still going to supplicate. You're still going to ask God for things because you all have needs. What the Apostle Paul is saying, you do your normal prayer, but in Christ, there's a different way of praying, and it's prayer with a different attitude. It's not just this gimme, 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 because if you don't give it to me, you don't love me. It's, it's this is what I need, but you know what? I'm so thankful for you in the midst of my need. I can't believe it. Rejoice in the Lord always in the midst of my need, and I'll tell you, Lord, what my needs are. But as I tell you, I am thankful for you unceasingly. This is a very hard thing to do. It's very hard because usually we can only be thankful when we get something that we ask for. And there's a really issue with Christians that we have to grow. How do you be thankful when you have an unmet need? How can you be thankful in want? How can you be thankful in suffering? How do you do that? It's very, very difficult. It's actually counterintuitive because it takes you to see beyond the situation and into the person of God, his character, and into what he has already done for us. Being a New Yorker, I'm very proud of being a New Yorker, you know. You know, it's like, you, are you proud of being a, a Californian? Eh, a little bit, you know, uh, you know. <laughs> you know, the, if you want to hear it, I'm proud to be a Californian, you know. Uh, no, I'm really proud of being a New Yorker, you see. Because, you know, New Yorkers got, a, got a something about us, a verb, you know, we get in your face or tell the truth, you know, we're the only truth-speaking people in the world. You got to understand that, <laughs> you know. Remember that there was a, a comedy show called Seinfeld? It's a comedy sensation, right? For New, York, New Yorkers, it was a docudrama. It's real. We're not laughing. It's like, this is real, you know? Everyone should be like, isn't everyone like that? Everyone's like George Costanza, Jerry Seinfeld, you know? Everyone's like that, you know? I guess you have not been to New York City and know the superior mind and the humor of us. It's very hard being growing up in New York. What made it doubly hard for me is that I'm Asian of descent. Now, Asian descent and being a New Yorker is like a double curse. Because what happens is for the Asian, that oftentimes the courtesy we show to people outwardly doesn't really reveal the true heart of what I think about you. <laughs> See, we've mastered, we've mastered that, you know, we've mastered that, you know? It's like, you, know, you don't know. Okay, so you have that, 
and you merge it with the cynical New Yorker. So what churns within is really deep. You know, you don't want to see that, you know? you know? So I'm like shaking your hands, and I'm thinking Jerry Seinfeld, you know? And I'm thinking George Costanza, you know? And I'm shaking your hand. I said, oh, that's nice, you know? God bless you, you know? And then the thing's going in my mind, you know? It's like, it's, it's like, it's like weird. It's the weirdest thing, you know? How, did, how does that happen, you know? It's very, very difficult. But it is important that you grow out of this ability not to be thankful toward God because you are thankful only when answered prayer is given and when you receive things and when your situation is fine. And to move out in a situation, you are just thankful for God, regardless of your situation. If you could do that, you make a quantum leap in waking up in your spirituality. Quantum leap. Because there's so much to be thankful for to God. Through Christ, through the cross. Someone shared with me at last night's service and shared something very deep, vulnerable. He said, you know, I deal with a lot of sadness. And one of my bouts of sadness is, to, is, to, is because I... I believe in spiritual entitlement, that I am entitled to this. And he asked me, how do you, how do you not grow out of spiritual entitlement? That because I'm a Christian, I deserve better. And I said to him, I said, I said it in the sermon, I said it to him again, I said, it's the most powerful thing for me was to look at the cross and to realize that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died for me, and he died for my, what I deserve. And that was the greatest show of grace that the world has ever known. So how dare I look at God and say, you have not shown me your love. You have not, I have not shown you your love, Jeff. Didn't I send my son to die for you? Don't you know what that means? You think you deserve better than that? I, I cannot show you anything more than that. What, you want money? You want a new car? I gave you my son. You see, it is an incredible leap because you see the gospel and you see the cross and you see Christ and you see the grace of God in the context of his redemptive plan. It is a truly amazing thing. end with this story. I don't know, um, I came, uh, spoke at Cornerstone at the end of June. And I, I don't know if you noticed, I'm wearing different glasses today. I always try to have a little fashion uh, change, you know. Um, <laughs> see if you notice, you know. Maybe a vanity thing, you know. Um, but my glasses are different. I was wearing gray glasses, and bigger. The reason why I was wearing gray glasses, they were bigger, was, um, uh, was because uh, part of my symptoms of my autoimmune disorder is I got welts all around my eyes. It looked like I was in a fight. Or an argument with my wife and I was bawling all that, you know? It looked really bad. I remember once taking off my glasses when I was lecturing, and, they, and one of my students from the back row says, boy, your eyes are red. And it's like, oh, okay, I'm gonna get the big glasses now, you know? Uh, you know, Elton John, you know, that, you know those big, big things, you know? Uh, I was to hide them. There's a symptom. Now, if you notice, I'm wearing these glasses that are retro, 
more stylish in some way, you know. Um, they're smaller. The reason why I'm wearing them is because after three years of dealing with uh, autoimmune disorder, um, it appears that has gone into remission. Yeah. And uh, it's not because of medication. I'm the low 1% that can have this naturally gone remission. I have like 5%, you know, hangover still, but at 95%, that's as much as people can take anyway, you know, uh, uh, of me at good health. Um, <laughs> but here's it. I asked God, I said, look, why, why do I even have to have this, you know? It's very inconvenient. You're talking three years. That's, that's, that's more than 6% of my life, 5% of my life, you see? I said, look, you know, you know, I'll take pain, you know, make it two weeks, you know, like a flu, you know, or, or, or you know, you know, it's like you know, three months, a broken leg, you know, that, I could take that, you know, uh, you know, a surgery, cut it out, you know, uh, but three years, man, that, that's like, that's five percent of my life. I, I three years is a long time. Why take three years? Well, the reason why I take three years because you realize it's not. It really had to do with disorder at all, at least for my life. Because I have to learn how to be thankful on the bad days. To be thankful on the bad days, which was pretty much every day. That lesson is worth more than the remission itself. to be thankful on the bad day when I could wake up with no pain or to have no pain during the night or to have welts in my eyes or to, to have like a pleurisy and I can't even move because my lungs hurt like I someone's even with a baseball bat every five seconds, you know. The transformation of the soul that for the majority of us will be the hardest area to advance in. Because the deed and the task you can do for the soul, you need a spiritual transformation through the fellowship with the living God. And it's an amazing thing to understand this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to end in prayer. But uh, before I pray, to remind you that we have a final song and then the receiving of the offering, but allow me the honor of praying for you. Our Heavenly Father, I pray for these, my friends. I call them friends for their desire to learn about you. I call them friends because I've ministered here for over a decade, Lord. Have, give us all an ability to see the darkness within our souls, within our lives, the darkness beneath the civility that we bestow and manifest in life, and to have us awake and walk toward you through the power of the Spirit to transform us in the inner being. Bless these, your people, O oh Lord. For I pray this in the name of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.